0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie Mobile app today or visit angie.com. That's angi.com.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I really truly meant to record this episode earlier in the day but I got a little bit carried away recording TikToks. And I got to say, guys, so much respect for TikTok creators, people that put out a ton of content and are very organized with it. I'm kind of like all over the place whenever I have like a a brain blast of a moment where I'm like, let me post this. I do, but truly I am not. I'm still learning. Like I'm not truly well-versed in the TikTok landscape. And I got to say, it takes so long to record a TikTok for what it is. It's like a short video. Some of them obviously are like more spontaneous, but I find the ones where I have like a really great idea, like executing it. It takes so long to record a TikTok. I just recorded one TikTok guys and it took me forever because I kept messing up and it was a whole thing. Anyway, the TikTok has been recorded. It's out the gate. It's out there in the world. Who knows what's going to happen to it? That's another thing. It's like such a mystery. What happens to the TikTok after you set it? out into the world. It's like setting a child out on their own after being under your roof for so long. It's like out you go and like who the heck knows what's going to happen. You could become a celebrity. You could become just, I don't know, any, any, anything. There's so many options for where we can go in this life. It's so crazy. And same for TikToks. Who knows? Like one video can launch you into stardom. It's really crazy how technology is advanced. But anyway, this has nothing to do with our concept today, our topic for the podcast. But I just felt the need to share that because TikTok, like those TikTok creators out there and all the comments I see, like the mean comments, I'm like, guys, you like, gosh, it takes so much effort not to mention putting yourself out there to make TikToks. Like, gosh, it's such a thing. Anyway, Today's episode is a good one, guys. I have a really, really good story from history. And I don't say that lightly. It's a very, very good story that I truly knew nothing about. And it was very interesting looking into it. It's quite the tale. So strap in. It's going to be a good one, but kind of setting the stage. So where I'm not even telling you you guys probably know by the title, but like, I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet. Basically the other day, I was doing some extremely adult things, okay? Ever since turning 26 and getting on my own health insurance, I've had to do all these very adult, very annoying things just to keep myself alive and well, okay? Like having to switch over all of my my appointments, like dentist, primary care, gyno, all my prescriptions and stuff, like everything has been It's just been like a whole thing. I could have taken a whole day to do this, to be honest, because it's a lot of calling. It's a lot of asking them if they take the insurance. Like, it's so, so much. And I honestly, like, I now know why adults would complain in my youth about being an adult. Like, I get it now. (laughs) I get it. And one particular call I was making was trying to just get my birth control, okay? Like, I had this guy know in Maryland that I would see and she was really cool I would like call her but now my insurance is like New York insurance kind of so I had to like switch over and I haven't found a guy know that I love in the city yet so I was like on my last pill okay in my pack like if you guys take the pill you know it's like you get to the last pill, the last sugar pill and you need to start your pack or like your body is thrown literally out of whack okay rhyme not intended there but it's perfect. gotta say anyway, so down to my last pill and just frantically realized because I'd been so busy. I just didn't think about like, oh, I need to make sure I'm all set for my next pack. So it was a whole thing. This was like a little, a few weeks ago, I guess. And I finally realized through talking to some of my friends that you can get birth control online. And I actually knew this because I've actually worked with some birth control companies like as an influencer, because I really think that birth control should be super accessible and easy to get. And it shouldn't be coming down to being in a pinch and not getting an appointment because that has just been the bane of my existence for so, so long. Like I've been on the pill since I was like, I don't know, 15 maybe. Is that really young? I don't know. I haven't been having sex since then. I, I really went to the gyno probably three years before I was sexually active because I went on the pill pretty early. I feel like because of my painful periods. Like I had really horrible cramps. Like I remember my dad having to come pick me up from school and it was humiliating because I was at the age where I didn't feel comfortable talking to my dad about things like that. Now, like I walk around the house and I'm like, I'm crampy, I'm bleeding. Like my dad is all women under his roof so he really does not care. But I was like weird about it then. Also I had like horrible acne. So I went on the pill pretty early and just didn't think anything of it. Like I actually was kind of proud in a weird way. I think it was just cause I was like, oh, I'm a woman now. Like I get to be on the birth control pill. It's so adult. And you know, when you're young and you really want those adult responsibilities. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, take some responsibilities away from me. I can't handle all this stress. It's kind of the similar, similar sort of thing to how a lot of us, I know myself at least in high school would like dress business casual. Like I shopped in the J Crew women's section, 90% of my wardrobe was from there. And I wore like business casual. Like I wore like sweaters with like the little collars poking out. And I like didn't have a dress code. Like I don't know why I decided I wanted to be business casual. And it feels like it was kind of a movement. Like everyone was kind of there with like the J. Crew bubble necklaces and like the pixie pants and like the, the riding boots. Like that was such a look. Anyway, I digress. So all this, you know, pill talk, trying to figure out how to get my birth control pill, which I figured it out. I actually was able to order 12 months of my pill to like stock up because my insurance, thank God, like let me do it. And I'm just going to stock. Like I'll have a whole year's worth, which is, is going to be great. So I'll have to set a reminder for the end of this year to remember or end of 2022. How weird is that? But it's 2022. Anyway. So like I said, all the pill talk really got me thinking because I am me. You guys know me. I can't let things go. If I have a thought I have to deep dive into it and figure out why things are the way they are. And truly, that's kind of one of my favorite parts about myself. Like I don't just kind of take things as they are. I'm like, okay, why? Why is this a thing? And I feel like many of you guys, if you listen to this podcast, are the same way. And I feel many of us women, especially, don't really understand the pill as much as we think we do in terms of where it came from and how new of an innovation it is. So today I'm going to tell you guys a brief history of the birth control pill. And of course, there's many other forms of birth control, obviously, like you can do the IUD and the arm implant, and there's a bunch of other things you can, I don't even know at, at this point, like the shot, there's so many now, like so many ways to prevent pregnancy. And of course, you don't have to be on birth control. Of course, it's a choice that you can make, but it is a choice that many of us Have now and didn't have for so many years. And there's so many reasons why someone would want to be on birth control. You know, for me, it's because I'm just not ready to have a child, period. But for others, it can be a way of family planning, like they just cannot have another child, another mouth to feed, or they're in poverty and can't afford it, or a woman is at risk and it would cause, you know, potentially death to have a child. There are so many reasons why a woman would want to be on birth control, giving her that, that. Slice of freedom a bit to like choose, you know? And for so many years, it just wasn't an option. And of course, even today, I feel that birth control, there's so much wrong with the system. It should be free for all, it should be accessible to all, no matter where you are, no matter nothing should matter except for the fact that you want to be on birth control. You should be able to get it, it should be easy and free. That is my opinion. There's a lot of things I can go into with this. I have a lot of opinions on how birth control should be more accessible around the world. And even here in the United States, like women in poverty, it's hard for them to gain access to it. And it just extends the cycle of poverty in some situations. But anyway, today I investigated the short SparkNotes version of birth control in America and in some parts of the world. I actually looked into some really interesting early efforts to prevent pregnancy that women would go through, like things that women would do that you're not going to believe to prevent pregnancy.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com.
1: So today, guys, on Thick and Thin, we are diving in to the history of birth control, specifically how the pill came to be. And it was all because, guys, of strong, bold women. And you guys know I love nothing more than a tale about a strong, bold woman. So here we go. And some of today's story might shock you right out of your seat. Like the fact that among the many, many strange earliest documented forms of birth control, one was Lint. Yes, you heard that right. Lint. I won't paint an extensive picture for you guys with that one, but you can use your imagination. Okay. So let's get into some other things. (laughs) I found a lengthy list of other things used as contraceptive in early, early times. So honey, moss, grass, bamboo. I don't even want to know how that was used. Like that just sounds painful no matter. Maybe like the inside of the bamboo stalk, I hope sponges soaked in oil or lemon juice, lead and toxic metals. All of these things, guys, were inserted into a woman in hopes that she would not become pregnant. So picture this. You're in ancient times. You're having a steamy encounter with your husband, shoving who knows what up your vagina and then blindly hoping for the best (laughs) just to avoid having another mouth to feed, like just finding whatever you can in the wilderness and shoving it up there like I cannot. Uh, The earliest known recordings of birth control date back to ancient Mesopotamia, so around 1850 BC. The ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans all had various forms of birth control. Some ancient papyrus scrolls were found that contain detailed instructions on how to create birth control using, like I said, honey, acacia leaves, lint to prevent sperm from entering the womb. In ancient Greece, women were told to drink copper salt dissolved in water to prevent pregnancy for up to one year. Copper salt, we've found, is toxic. Preventing pregnancy was very trial and error in these times, as you can imagine, and always put, always put the woman at risk, which just makes my stomach turn because birth itself put the woman at risk, not to mention these you know, pregnancy prevention techniques. It just, it makes my stomach turn. In the Middle Ages, in Europe, the Catholic Church deemed birth control immoral. Many religious people even thought the pull-out method, so like spilling of the seed or coitus interruptus, to be a sin as well. And so during the Middle Ages, women found themselves drinking potentially poisonous herbal concoctions to induce a miscarriage, which, again, breaks my heart. And get this, condoms, which in early times were made from various animal skins and intestines, have been around since at least the renaissance but they weren't really created with birth control in mind some things i found online said more so to prevent stis and i read somewhere that long ago japanese men used to use condoms made from tortoise shell tortoise shell <laughs> okay ouch i just like got full body chills reading that so the man would wear a condom in you know various different forms to prevent disease And the woman would be expected to endure the pain of whatever the guy chose to wrap up in, and she would also be expected to shove all sorts of things up there to prevent pregnancy or drink a potentially poisonous liquid to miscarry. Sounds about right. Latex condoms weren't even introduced until the 1920s. I will say, long before any European settlers arrived... In America, indigenous people had begun using various herbs to prevent pregnancy, and they were some of the first, if not the first, to effectively track their fertility cycles, which obviously now we have a ton of different apps you can use to track your cycles and things, but they were onto this like from the get-go. So they they knew when they were least likely to conceive, and they planned around it, which was so smart. Herbal contraceptives and other forms of birth control were widely banned in Europe. So Europeans relied heavily on charms and amulets, as well as this process, which you're just not gonna believe. It's called bundling. You guys are gonna die. So basically, bundling was this. It was essentially abstinence for the most religious of people. But for those times, when staying physically apart was not possible, like, okay, couples in the early 18th century, so like the 1700s, often had to travel quite a distance to spend time together. So that being said, it wasn't always possible to see your significant other and then skirt back to your parents to prevent sleeping with them and conceiving a child. So at bedtime, some couples chose to be bundled together. So they would put themselves to bed, fully clothed, separated by a board or even sewn into a sack. So they slept together without sleeping together, okay? And obviously this did not work most times and pretty soon due to lack of success in preventing pregnancy, religious leaders eventually discouraged bundling altogether. Like imagine going home with someone in these days and being like, hey, sorry, gotta sew myself into my sack real quick so we don't hook up. (laughs) Kind of like a chastity belt of sorts, but I actually read that chastity belts, which I always thought were used in the middle ages could be a total myth. Like there's evidence to support that they they existed, but they might've never been used seriously. Kind of like a jester sort of joke of sorts. I'm not too sure about that one. Anyway, fast forward to the 1800s. At this time, the United States had one of the highest birth rates in the world. And to give you an idea of just how high the birth rates were, the average woman in the US in 1800 had given birth to about eight children. Not to mention at this time, this woman would have been younger than me. In some cases, far younger. Between 1800 and 1900, women generally married for the first time between the ages of 20 and 22 here in the U.S. And something I found to be so shocking, but I guess at the same time, not so shocking. During this time, the 19th century, the age of consent in the U.S. varied from ages 10 to 16, depending on the state and the year. 10 years old. Again, my heart is just breaking. So the invention of vulcanized rubber came to America in 1839. It was a latex-like material that was used to manufacture condoms much higher quality and later on, the first diaphragm of sorts for women. But as everything seemed to be moving in a more hopeful direction, shit hit the fan. As it typically does in history when something revolutionary comes out, obviously, people became super divided on the issue of birth control. Some bold women began openly speaking out about their want for birth control, but others thought that contraception was immoral and promoted prostitution. Between the 1840s and the 90s, for the first time, most of the states took a giant step back. They'd either effectively banned contraception or radically limited it in their states. In 1870, the Comstock Act outlawed the use of U.S. Postal Service to mail anything sex-related and contraception was included in this ban. But this did not stop women from wanting birth control. Many would get their hands on it somehow on the super DL, but only the luckiest and the richest. Women were so limited in many other ways in society at this point like had very few rights, that they felt like this was the last straw. Like if they're expected to stay home with the kids, at least let them feel confident in their family planning. Like they should be able to have confidence that if they don't want to get pregnant, they won't. Okay. That's just my belief. Anyway, so many of the boldest women for the time spoke up loudly. And one of these women was Margaret Sanger. Margaret was born on September 14, 1879, in Corning, New York. She was the sixth of eleven children, and her parents were Michael Hennessy Higgins, a stonemason, and Anna Purcell Higgins, a Roman Catholic Irish woman. Margaret experienced poverty during her childhood and the death of her mother, which she believed resulted from the physical toll that 11 pregnancies put on her. Perhaps inspired by this, Margaret actually went on to become a nurse. She married an architect with whom she had three children. They moved to New York. And this is where Margaret became a member of the Women's Committee of the New York Chapter of the Socialist Party and participated in women's labor protests. She felt so strongly about many things, but one of which being the ability to control family size. She thought it was crucial to ending the cycle of women's poverty, which she knew very well from her childhood and the loss of her mother. But at this time, when she was in New York, it was 1912 or so. So it was illegal to distribute information about birth control. She was still working as a nurse at this point and often visited the homes of poor, sick immigrants, often with massive families and wives whose health was teetering due to many pregnancies, miscarriages, or sometimes botched under the table abortions. Margaret wanted two things. She wanted information about birth control to be super accessible so people could educate themselves and for the Comstock Act to be repealed. And obviously the two went hand in hand because in order to make birth control accessible, like information accessible, so people could educate themselves, the Comstock Act would have to be repealed. So in 1914, Margaret launched her own feminist publication called The Woman Rebel, which advocated for birth control. And this was a huge deal due to the Comstock Act, which criminalized things like this. And to think, guys, I'm sitting here In New York City, the same place where she was, doing a whole podcast on a subject that would have landed me in jail the same century I was born. Like, I was born in 1995, just 80-some years after she started this publication. Like, this is crazy. Anyways, unsurprisingly, Margaret was caught and charged with violating the Comstock Act, so she fled to London. But she was smart. Before she left, she asked friends of hers to distribute this pamphlet that she wrote on contraceptive techniques while she was away. So eventually she returned to the U.S. a year later to stand trial because she had to. But sadly, her five-year-old daughter died unexpectedly, and public pressure surrounding this just kind of dropped because of that. In 1916, Margaret opened the very first birth control clinic in Brownsville, Brooklyn. But of course, barely a week after they opened their doors, she was arrested and spent a month in jail. But this worked to Margaret's advantage. It was well-publicized, the whole thing, and it really revved up the support surrounding her movement. She appealed the conviction, and although she ended up losing, the courts ruled that physicians, which Margaret was a nurse, let's not forget, could prescribe contraceptives to women for medical reasons. This was a loophole. I'm like picturing a judge out there just being like, fuck this, Like, let's figure out a way to make this work. They found a loophole that allowed Margaret and her supporters to open a clinic in 1923 that was staffed by female doctors and social workers, which would later become the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. And like I said, this is a Sparknotes version, guys. This is just a Sparknotes version of Margaret's story. I highly recommend reading more about her if you're interested. But fast forward to the 50s for the best part. She received funding from her friend and international heiress, Catherine McCormick, the two met back in 1917 when Catherine attended a lecture that Margaret gave in Boston. Afterwards, they kept in touch, and she even helped Margaret by smuggling diaphragms into the country for the birth control clinics during her trips abroad in the 20s. Anyway, so in the 50s, the two teamed up again in a huge way. On June 8, 1953, Margaret took Catherine, the heiress, to a small lab in the outskirts of Massachusetts. I'm picturing her like rolling up, this girl, this this heiress woman rolling up in her expensive coats and diamonds to this like dinky little lab in Massachusetts. (laughs) Like I'm picturing that. So at the lab, they met researcher Gregory Pincus. And the idea was to all three of them, and of course, more supporters, there was definitely more people involved. they, They wanted to develop an oral contraceptive, which Margaret called birth control. At the end of their first meeting, Catherine took out her checkbook and wrote Gregory Pincus a check for $40,000, which at the time was a small fortune. And this would be the first of many checks that Catherine would write over the course of their research. Like talk about a squad. This is amazing. I hope there's a movie surrounding this whole thing because it just sounds like a movie to me, how these two women like met in secret in this lab with this guy, Gregory, and just hatched a plan. It's crazy. But I also, I have to say, not to put too much emphasis on the man involved, but Gregory Pincus, like I wonder what his deal was. I should probably look into it, honestly, because I can imagine that he got so much scrutiny for teaming up with these women who, of course, for the time were probably described as being crazy because, of course, crazy women are the ones that are revolutionary and that lead to amazing inventions. But at the time, whenever they're first hatching a plan, they're always called crazy, right? So I can't imagine... assume his wife had something to do with it. And she actually, uh, you know, said something about Catherine McCormick. She said, Dr. Pincus's wife said that Catherine McCormick was a warrior. She carried herself, this is her quote, she carried herself like a ramrod. Little old woman she was not. She was a grenadier. So after this meeting, after many trials and tests and research and all that's involved in creating something like this, the pill was approved finally by the FDA in 1960. So with Catherine's money and Margaret's idea and Dr. Gregory Pincus helping him out, the pill that we all know today was created. And of course, it was met with a ton of opposition, especially from religious members of society. And it still does today. And there's still so much more to this story and many, many more forms of birth control. And of course, you know, there's so much more I could say. But guys, that meeting of these two crazy women and this guy in a dinky little... Massachusetts Lab ended up being revolutionary. Not to mention they were backed by thousands upon thousands of women that came together. It led to this freedom that we enjoy today that, like I said, many of us enjoy, not all, but it's something that we didn't have. And 1960, guys, was when the pill was introduced and approved at least. So it probably took some time to end up being accessible to everybody or most people. And again, it was probably only for the rich at first, like I don't even know that element, mostly for white women of society, like not to mention people of color were probably not able to get it for some time, but 1960, that was not that long ago. It really was not that long ago. And here we are today expanding even further and making birth control accessible on the internet. And I'm able to sit here in my apartment in New York City and talk about it freely and you know i'm even thinking that it probably was i mean i know i've read some places that it was extremely hush hush at first like women would take this thing they called it the pill they like wouldn't even call it birth control pill at the time i think cuz like you know the stigma so after the fda approved it in 1960 within 2 years of its initial distribution i read that 1.2 million American women were using the birth control pill or the pill as it's popularly known. And since its introduction, more than 300 million women worldwide have used the pill as a simple, safe and effective means of achieving reproductive freedom. And I read this in a journal, many observers consider the pill to be one of the most socially significant advances in modern medicine. All because guys of women who felt strongly about something and didn't shut up about it. And they risked going to jail. They risked social suicide by, you know, rallying for something they really, really believed in. And it's these women that I, I, you know, I have this podcast for a reason. I want to give credit where credit is due because I didn't know who Margaret Sanger was until a couple of days ago, and that is sad. I feel like this should be taught in schools. Maybe it was. Maybe it was like one part of a large lesson that I had in health class. I don't feel like I did learn this, and it really would have just given me a newfound respect like for that first appointment I had to get the birth control pill. Like I just I just wanted to stop having cramps and for my skin to clear up, but now I have a newfound respect for it as I'm a woman, at you know age 26 here in New York City, going through life and hoping that I'll have the freedom to have a family one day when I'm ready. So Anyway, no matter where you stand on reproductive rights, I think we can all agree that this was a huge moment for women in history, huge moment for us. And it's things like this that we have to speak up on. Like, if there's something in today's world that we think needs to be changed, needs to be better, and it just doesn't make sense, like, you can't wrap your mind around why it isn't a thing, like, we gotta make it a thing. And the way we do that is by talking about it and standing up for what we believe in and having this bold energy. Of just you know, I don't know. It, it tends to be pretty contagious, I feel. I try to surround myself with women that have strong views about things. And I think it's just it's a way to grow. Even if you don't agree, like having those conversations, it makes you better, really does. So anyway, guys, this was the brief history of the birth control pill. Like I said numerous times throughout this episode, there's so much more to the story. So you have to read more. You have to watch as many things as you can because it's so, so huge. But here's your first little dose of history. I'm just imagining. I actually haven't stopped thinking about the fact that women used to like put lint up there. Like I just, how much lint do you need to be satisfactory to make sure you, oh my God, I can't even imagine about it can't even think about it. I mean, I can't even imagine it. I can't even think about it. I can't, I just, I am just so grateful for modern technology. I'm grateful for the birth control pill. I'm grateful for condoms. I'm grateful for latex-free condoms. I'm grateful for all of the inventions we have today. And yeah, there's a whole other discussion to open up about this. Like, you know, the fact that women primarily today are expected to be on this pill that causes us so much freedom and also so much hurt. Because like I said, if you like skip a pill, your body's thrown out of whack. If you like don't want to get your period and you take two, like you're stressed about taking two or like taking, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's so many things that we do and struggle with every day. Like my group chat is constantly, we're constantly talking about like birth control and which pill we should be on and how much estrogen and like what the long-term effects of birth control are on us. Like there's so, so, so much more to talk about with this not to mention, like I said earlier, how it just needs to be more accessible. I think it needs to be free. I don't understand why it's not free. I don't get it. I mean, of course, there's so much involved. I'm not going to be naive here about this, but it just it just feels like it should be free. There's a lot of things that should be free. The flu shot, for example. Can't believe it that. I mean, this is Katie, 26-year-old, now has to pay for her own health insurance talking and realizing like a whole new world has been opened up to me because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to pay I'm paying like $470 a month for my own health insurance because I'm my own employer. And it's just crazy. I'm paying, like I said, to keep myself alive and well. And luckily, you know, I I am privileged enough to be able to pay for that and hardworking enough, I guess, to some respect, but it does rest heavily on my privilege. And some people are not as fortunate to be able to pay things like that. So that is why so many Americans go uninsured. And it's just heartbreaking to think about. But hopefully this was good food for thought. I know it wasn't the most chipper and happy of a subject, but like I said, just uh, be one of those bold women or bold man. If you're a man listening to this and you made it to the end of this props to you for listening to this full history or shortened history of birth control really props to you. But truly, I think everyone should know this. I think regardless of your gender, you should know this. So if you're a health teacher out there listening by chance, definitely consider working this into a subject plan of what do they call it a lesson plan of some sort because it's helpful information that I wish I knew sooner you know really gives you food for thought anyway guys that is another episode of thick and thin another story from history another story about bold women coming together for something they believe in so hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you guys all next week bye <laughs>